Fiona's going to come and speak to us this morning from the passage. Fiona, would you come up? So let's just pray for Fiona as she shares with us and pray that God would send his Holy Spirit to direct the words of her mouth and the impact they have on our hearts, that the words she speaks and how we respond to them might be glorifying to God. Through Christ, who is our Lord. Amen. Good morning, all. Today we are completing the series that we started on Matthew's Gospel um, some time ago with Steve preaching on the baptism of Jesus. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, the beginning of his ministry. And today's passage is still part of the Sermon on the Mount. You may remember um, Linda talking about that a couple of weeks ago, uh, which Jesus uh, moves up uh, away from the crowds up the mountain and others go to listen to him. Those who wanted to follow him and hear his teaching followed him and uh, listened to what he had to say. This is the good news of Jesus. And in this part of the sermon, Jesus exhorts us not to worry. It's not that airy-fairy, oh, don't worry, that we get from people, from family and friends, when we obviously are very worried about something. That's just a platitude, really, isn't it? He's actually teaching here that we don't have cause to worry, that we don't have a need to worry Have you ever wondered why it is that we do worry? Some people do describe themselves as born worriers, but actually it's not a genetic predisposition. It's um, a learned behavior, really. And the reason that we humans worry is simply that we perceive there's reason to worry. And we have that perception because we've been taught that there's reason to worry. It doesn't, of course, make it the truth. It simply makes it a learned perception that causes us to be anxious. Jesus' command not to worry resulted from the teaching that you can't serve two masters, both God and money. Later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus talks about how difficult it is for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because he's rich but because he's dependent on his money and on keeping making that money, and that's his focus of attention. And he's unwilling to trust and to be dependent on God for everything in his life. We were taught about scarcity mainly by our parents and society generally because they learned it from their parents and so on back the generations. And that is... um, That goes on in society and throughout our society today. The television news, which in my opinion should always be called the bad news from around the world, um, because that's what it is, um, teaches us why we have to worry. It tells us about the constant need that we have to worry, and they have on experts that tell us um, in detail why it is that we have to worry that our houses aren't going to be worth anything, and global warming is going to destroy our planet. And we have to wrap our children up in cotton wool, say the health and safety laws, um, and lock them somewhere in a building to make sure that nothing terrible is going to happen to them. And if you let them out before the age of 30, it's a danger to them. 
And so our whole society is geared towards instilling worry and fear in as many people as possible. And so we perceive that as our reality because that's what's around us on a day-to-day -day basis. Money often is a big issue. Our reality as we see it is that we need money to live. Our society works in a certain way and that means we have to be able to earn money to pay for the things that we need and provide for ourselves. That's the way the world works, isn't it? Is that just being realistic? Jesus says, no, that isn't reality for us at all. He teaches about a completely different reality altogether. Fortunately for us, Learned anxiety can be unlearned and replaced with the truth. And this morning, from this Sermon on the Mount that is recorded in Matthew, we have a source of the truth that will set us free from worry. So let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus illustrates the truth of his reality by pointing out to what actually happens in the world around us. That's something we can see for ourselves and something his listeners could see for themselves as well. Jesus said, don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear because life is so much more than that. And we get caught up in these things and don't see what God is offering us. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns because your heavenly father feeds them. So we don't need to worry about food. And are you not of more value than they? He also points out how useless worrying is. It doesn't do anything to help anybody. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? Of course we can't. Worrying doesn't achieve anything. And aren't we obsessed in this day and age with clothing People are constantly shopping and what they buy probably more than anything else is clothes and makeup and it's how they look that matters. And yet Jesus points to the lilies of the field and how often have we stopped to admire flowers and just realize what amazing beauty they have. And yet they do nothing. That is God's gift to them. If God so clothes the grass of the field which tomorrow is just going to be thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, ye of little faith? Jesus makes it clear to his listening crowd that worry results from lack of faith. Not worrying, therefore, must be about having faith, about trust in the God who knows the things we need and will provide it for us as he does for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. It's quite hard, isn't it, to believe in this world of abundance that Jesus is proclaiming here to us. This world that invites us to trust God's faithfulness. Scarcity, of course, creates fear. And fear creates devotion to um, those who will protect you. And dependence on those who will provide. Abundance, on the other hand, produces freedom. 
In the end, Jesus died for his revolutionary teachings, because, partly because the rulers of the day were so invested in the world of scarcity that this abundance of Jesus, this freedom that Jesus is offering, was threatening to the power that they had over the society at the time. God doesn't operate from scarcity. God operates out of abundance. And that is the world that Jesus is inviting us into this morning. A world of generosity, of abundance, of new life. But isn't it also a world of fragility, of vulnerability, and the need to trust? We have to be willing to make ourselves vulnerable in order to be dependent on God's providence and love rather than what we can do for ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean we've all got to go out and give up our jobs tomorrow and just get on our knees and pray. Obviously, it doesn't. Of course, we can help ourselves. But Jesus is making it clear that when we have a real need and when God is calling us perhaps to something in particular, that we can trust in him and his provision for us. How easy is it for you to trust God to that extent? And how able is your God to provide everything you need? Because that's what Jesus is telling us to do here. We sing about God's faithfulness. We sing about God being a great big God. We sing about God's strength and God's might. But do we have faith in that God? You'll all know the 23rd Psalm very well. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It's a, it's a, a psalm that is familiar to even those who don't go to church. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Oh, I've done it again. <laughs> there we are. There's a wonderful meditation um, by Charles Swindle on the 23rd Psalm in which he explains why we need lack nothing when we are part of God's flock. Now, I'm not going to go into this in detail at the moment, but I have copies that you can take home at the end of the service. And I'd like you to put it somewhere where you can read it and be reminded daily that of God's provision for us that God does and will take care of our needs. Perhaps meditate on a couple of lines each day. Just spend time thinking about them. And I wonder what the transformation might be. We're talking about transform at the moment. What the transformation might be if you were to, to, to do that, maybe for a month or so. I wonder if there'd be a shift in your perception from scarcity to abundance. If the God you believe in cannot provide all things in abundance and you cannot depend on him completely, I wonder why not? If you're a warrior, are you tending to make God in human image rather than us made in his image? Are you limiting God in your thinking by your lack of understanding and faith in his complete omnipotence. One of my go-to verses, if I'm worrying, 
is in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Isn't that wonderfully uplifting? No matter what you can think of or imagine, God is able to do immeasurably more than that. So much more that we can't even get there. That's how powerful and omnipotent this God is that we have and that Jesus is bringing us back to this morning. Jesus wants us to change our perception of reality, to get it that God is a truly loving father who will look after us and provide for us. He's saying, don't worry. God knows what you need and will provide it for you. There's no scarcity, no doubt, no uncertainty in the words of Jesus. In fact, in the very next chapter, in verses 7 and 8, Jesus reinforces this teaching. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Those who seek, find. And to those who knock, the door will be opened. Notice the responsibility on us, though, to ask, to seek, to knock. We have our part to play as well. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's God's justice and God's goodness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus appears to be saying this is cause and effect, doesn't he? Seek first the kingdom, and as a direct result, God will provide all that you need. That would certainly fit with what Matthew was saying last week. Um, Just let me remind you. Prayer is a powerful relationship. Half the job is mine. If I want transformation, but can't be bothered to articulate what exactly I'm aiming for, how will it ever occur? Um, I agree with Matthew and what you said last week, because the second half of that, I certainly would fiddle about with and change. But prayer is a powerful relationship. Half the job is mine. Is an understanding from Elizabeth Gilbert, again, of cause and effect. And of course, that wonderful quote from John Wesley that Matthew has already mentioned today, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. I don't know if you were as struck by that last week as I was, but it certainly had an impact on me. If that won't get us on our knees, I don't know what will. See the responsibility we have in the world as Christians. So what does that mean for us on a daily basis? We are to seek Remember back to your school days? That's a verb or a doing word. It's what we are required to do. That bit's our responsibility. We are to seek the kingdom of God. 
When we started to look at this series of the, on the Gospel of Matthew, we found that the first words of Jesus' ministry were about the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus tells us in Luke's gospel, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's how important it is, because that is why I was sent, he says. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. And then Linda reminded us a couple of weeks ago that the kingdom of heaven is God's space. It's where the spirit of God is, where full reality exists. That's the reality Jesus is taking us back to today. Close by our earthly reality, what we think is real, and interlocking with it. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God, though? What's Jesus asking us to do here? Because if we can't get that, then we can't follow his direction. In Luke's gospel, Jesus told the Pharisees, The kingdom of God doesn't come with outward signs to be observed. It's not something you look over there for or over here for. For the kingdom of God is within you and around you. This is a spiritual kingdom. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We are to speak... to seek the spiritual realm which is within us and around us. That requires us to study what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God and then to contemplate and meditate and pray. It's a spiritual um, experience which results from our seeking. I saw a great book yesterday in a um, bookshop in London and it said, um, "Don't, don't just do something sit there. And uh, immediately I thought of what I was saying this morning. And it turned out to be a book about, um, for children, about how to introduce children to meditation and to prayer. Don't just do something, sit there. Last week we heard um, about uh, prayer from Matthew. And before teaching his disciples how to pray, he was at pains to tell his listeners how not to pray. And he said, if you you do what the hypocrites do, and you stand out there and you pray in public, and you let everybody see you in a great loud voice, the reward you get is the attention that you get from these other people. And that's their full reward. There's nothing else in it for them. No, to pray we are to go into a quiet place and pray to our Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice again this cause and effect. Then our reward comes from going into that quiet place, it seems, and seeking God's kingdom. And we have the assurance of Jesus that our God is an unchanging, righteous God. He will always do what is right, what is just, what is honourable when we come to him. I'd been thinking about seeking the kingdom of God um, when I thought about a a lady called Viana Stiebel. Um, And she came to mind because that's exactly what she does. 
Um, she's the founder of something called Theta Healing, which you may not have heard of. I've done two days training in Theta Healing, so I'm not an expert. Um, but it is quite amazing what she does. It came from her healing her own cancer. Um, she thought she had bone cancer. It turned out to be um, lymphatic cancer. Um, and in one talk that I heard her give, um, she said it took her 19 seconds to cure herself of this cancer. And she has all the x-rays and things. This is well documented. In simple terms, her healing method involves going up to be with God, going up to seek God and to work with him. She concludes in her book that um, these prayers for healing were answered because the people were in that quiet, still place where there's a change in the brainwaves. There's a change from alpha to theta brainwaves, hence theta healing. And that change takes place when we go into that quietness and that stillness, as Jesus instructs us to do. Go into your room, close the door, and go into prayer and meditation. Again, in Psalm 23, we see this quiet stillness. I was telling the 930 people that these words, I'm sure, go through my head on a daily basis. I find them so reassuring. They're my go-to words as well. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And then what happens? He restores my soul. For me, these words are amazing. They are wonderful. And I call upon these words daily. He restores my soul. There's a change takes place in us when we seek the kingdom of God. Jesus was teaching us the process by which we can be free from worry. God knows what we need before we ask for it, he said. But we must play our part, for it is in seeking that we find, and it is in asking that we receive. Do not worry, says Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well.